Good morning. Happy Independence Day. It's a great uh, weekend to remember and to celebrate and, uh, and continue to cherish the uh, things that are freedoms that make are so important to our, our sense of being in our country. And also, welcome back. How many of you were on the Kentucky team that are here this morning? It was a large team. And uh, welcome back. We heard some great stories. We're looking forward to hearing more more stories about that, but about uh, with, with all the families and people, about 20 of our members went to that, so really exciting, and we're uh, thrilled to be able to hear from them. Well, since February, we have been in a series about the kingdom of God and spiritual gifts, and we have learned all about the kingdom's power, and power that is available to us because we are in a relationship with a God who can do the impossible. And that power is made real in the spiritual gifts that God gives to his church. Gifts to grow us, to mature us, and to empower us. Now last Sunday, Pastor Nick wrapped up the definition and description of the gifts, and he did an excellent job. And if you weren't here, I really encourage you to go back and listen to that message. During this series, you have heard from a variety of pastors um, describing the working of the gifts in their own lives. But are the gifts only for a few? Or are, are they for all of us? What about you? What about the working of the gifts in your life when you are raising a family and working a secular job and negotiating all the demands of life? This morning, we're gonna hear from seven of our members not pastors, of our church, how the gifts work out in their lives. And remember, as we talk about these, the gifts are not commodities that we own. They're not merely natural talents. They are manifestations of Jesus through our lives. And when individuals band together in our church, Jesus is manifested In the entirety of his being, we are literally his heart, lungs, hand, and feet to others. So to anchor this spiritual gifts panel, which I'll invite up in a moment, we're going to go back to a familiar passage. Back to the seven core or foundational gifts that are listed in Romans chapter 12. And so what we've done is asked a member to represent each one of these gifts. They are not the only gifts, but I think they are the building blocks of a healthy church. And we have contended that these are residential gifts, meaning they reside in believers on a permanent basis. Every believer, we think, has at least one of these gifts. And these gifts are supernatural enablements, but that does not mean employing them will be easy. You know, I've heard too many people say, well, this gift can't be mine because using it has been so hard. It's been so difficult. You told me, Pastor, that if I use my spiritual gift, I'll feel fulfilled and it will be easy to use it. Well, yes and no. Whenever we use our gifts, there will be pushback. There will be obstacles. There will be difficulties. The existence of those does not equate to you not having that spiritual gift. True gifts from God burn a passion within us that cannot be stopped or put out. So will you stand? And what I'm going to do this morning is I want to go back and read again the few verses that go over these core gifts, and then we'll pray, and I'll ask our panel to join us. Romans 12, verses 4 through 8. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. 
in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we invite you this morning, and we know that you are already here, but Father, through your Holy Spirit, who represents Jesus to us, we invite you here this morning to inspire, to encourage, to mobilize, to light a flame our imaginations with how we can be used in the kingdom of God. And help us to remember, Father, this kingdom that we talk about is not about words. It's about power. Power in us, power through us. So lead us, Father, now in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You can take a seat, but if you're on our panel, will you work your way up here, please? So I have given um, members of our panel here... uh, You'll meet them here in just a moment. I've given them two questions to think about during this week. Question number one, how did you come into awareness of this gift? And question two, tell us a story about where you stepped out to use this gift that required some risk. That's been one of our themes throughout the time is that to use gifts, it requires risk. So we've asked them to each share a story about that. Okay, all right. You guys ready? You look marvelous. You look marvelous. Okay. I'm going to start here with Aaron Carnes and um, with the gift of leadership. Since Aaron, we believe, has a gift of leadership, we asked her to go first, right? Of course. The gift of leadership is that capacity to inspire and mobilize others towards a shared mission. The gift of leadership, I think, is something we recognized in Erin a long time ago, long before she did, and uh, been a journey for her to to, uh, think about this gift. And can I just say something for all of our uh, team members here? It really is humbling to say, I think I have this gift, because the temptation is to think that we're putting ourselves forward or that we're not being humble. But it actually, according to Romans 12, it is actually an act of humility to say, I think the Spirit of God has given me this gift, and I want to use it for his, his glory. And that particularly applies, I think, to the gift of, gift of leadership. So, Aaron, um, how did you come into awareness of this gift and talk about when you've, had, when you've used it and stepped out in faith? So this first question, if I was being really honest, is really difficult for me to answer um, because the times that I have stepped out in a leadership capacity, I never really thought, oh, I think I have the gift of leadership And so, therefore, I'm going to do that. It was more there was a need, and um, I felt called to fill that need. And so I stepped into that and was just faithful in what God had called me to. So it wasn't until more recently that I've reflected on, as we've been going through this series and been thinking back on the experiences I've had in working in the kingdom of God, that I thought, well, maybe I have this gifting. And I think think we're really in emphasize that for me as other people speaking that into my life. You know, Pastor Chris has before and other friends have shared that with me. So that's something that I don't even, if they hadn't shared that, I don't know if I would have considered maybe this is a gifting that I have. Um, And I think the biggest example is probably our free clinic. Um, If you're new to Linworth in the last three years, we did have a free medical clinic. It started in about 2012 and I was on the first team. I was on the team that started the clinic because I had been leading Vineyard's clinic, the first, they have four clinics a month and I was leading the first one, um, the first Tuesday of the month for several years at that point. And I was a nurse, so I had been in the medical community for a while. Um, And so I had some experience in free clinics, so I helped start it, but I didn't want a leadership role. I was already leading the other clinic, and I just wanted to help get this one started. Thankfully, somebody else had stepped forward to be the leader, and I was just kind of background stuff. And then I fell away and stayed with the vineyard for a couple years. And there was one particular Sunday, I don't remember what the sermon was on, but it was on service. And I felt this really strong conviction that I needed to get back and to serve our body. I had been a couple years that I hadn't been serving in Linworth, 
and um, I wanted to get back into ministry here. And at the time, is all during the sermon, I'm thinking, well, you know, I used to do the high school ministry. Maybe I'll get back into the high school ministry. I just wanted to serve a little bit, maybe one Sunday a month. Um, and I was discipling somebody at the time that was in the high school ministry. And I thought, I'll talk to her at the, this afternoon when we meet. And I hadn't even left the building when Christine Barker, who was running the clinic at the time, approached me and said, I, you know, for personal reasons, I need to step down. Would you consider running the clinic? If I'm being really honest, I did not want to do that. <laughs> I was not looking for a leadership role. I did not want to run a clinic. I had led the clinic on a Tuesday, but I didn't do all the behind the scenes stuff. I'd never done that before. I'm homeschooling my kids. I'm starting a photography business. I'm like, Lord, I don't have time to do this. There's no way I have the resources and the capabilities to do this. Um, and so I just said, okay, I'll pray about it. And I just felt really strongly the Lord saying, I really want you to do this. And I said, well, God, okay, if you want me to do this, then you gotta make a way, because I'm not sure how I physically I, and time-wise can do this. And um, so I stepped out. And of course, since I had a background in free clinics, I knew how clinics should be run. So I stepped in, guns blazing, ready to go. And within six months, we had lost half our volunteer staff and our patient numbers were down to zero. <laughs> um, and so I was like, okay, I'm failing at this. Um, and just cried out to the Lord, Lord, like you called me to this, why am I here? You know, I told you I couldn't do this. I told you I didn't have the time for this. And um, I just said, okay, Lord. And I just felt the spirit say, this ministry is my ministry. It's not yours. I need you to surrender it to me. And said, okay, Lord, I surrender. I never asked you, what do you want this ministry to look like? And, um, and so I just surrendered it all. And it was amazing to see over time, it was slow, but he brought the right people in. He brought the right resources. He brought this amazing staff of volunteers that showed up and had such a heart for the ministry. Um, my heart was changing. I showed up and I found a passion that I didn't know I had. Um, I had a love for our patients. I love, I love seeing people step into ministry and find where their place was, and I loved helping them find that. I loved starting our ministry time and just surrendering it all to the Lord. We prayed for each other. We were almost like a little mini small group that we would share a teaching and then we'd pray for each other and lay our burdens down at the feet of our Father so that we can go out and be the hands and feet of Christ and serve others. Um, and it was just such an amazing, and then I felt the call, okay, why don't you add a second clinic? And I was like, oh, I don't know if we have the resources for this. We don't have a huge volunteer staff. And then we added the, and I was like, okay, we stepped out in faith and he met us there. And there was just so many times where we didn't have enough people, literally the night before the clinic is supposed to open. And I'm just praying, okay, God, am I gonna have to shut the doors? I don't have enough staff. And then I'll get a text message. Hey, I'm free tomorrow, can I come serve? Uh, yes, please. <laughs> uh, but it was, he just showed up and it was just so faithful. And so um, all I know is I brought my five loaves and two fishes yes. that I know were meager and not enough. And he made them abundantly more than anything I could possibly imagine. Wow. So. That's awesome. <laughs> Jim and Bo are two of the greatest examples that I know of individuals who, in their retirement years, that's Jim, that's all I really know you, is in your and Bo's retirement years. Uh, if you're looking for an example of how to live out your retirement years and live in the kingdom of God, it is Jim and Bo Nicholson. Um, they have evidenced the gift of giving, which is the capacity to give supernaturally of time and money and resources to build the kingdom of God. And so I was so excited. Again, this is another gift that's difficult to say that I have, the gift of giving. And I was so thrilled when Jim agreed to share a little bit of he and Bo's story. So, Jim. So you notice I have notes. Aaron didn't. I'm pretty impressed with that. <laughs> <laughs> Bo and I married in 1963. The first three years of our marriage were stressful. I was on active duty. The ship I was on deployed five or six months a year, uh, every year. Bo stayed in Charleston, South Carolina. She worked, 
She paid the bills, kept our life on track. After active duty, we struggled with issues in our, in our relationship. We applied worldly wisdom to try and resolve those and that, that clearly didn't work. Uh, by 1973, we were living in Akron and uh, we bought a home we could afford to buy thanks to a gift from our parents, but we found out we couldn't afford to live in our new home. Okay, <laughs> I was working in downtown Cleveland commuting two hours a day to a uh, Merrill Lynch institutional sales office there and uh, Bo went to work selling real estate to help keep our heads above water when what she really wanted to do was spend her time with our two young boys. Okay, the stress in her life just kept increasing. Bo is a faithful Catholic. I wasn't attending any church at the time. A neighbor reached out to Bo and invited her to a pro her Protestant church. And after a couple of months at St. Luke's, uh, Bo accepted Jesus as her savior. St. Luke's was a charismatic Episcopal church, very much into encouraging the congregants to recognize and use the gifts of the Holy Spirit. My reaction to the change in her life was typical of many when uh, first encountering the manifested gifts of the Spirit. Uh, she became my Jesus freak. Uh, she persisted and after going it alone for some time asked me to join her one Sunday. Okay, uh, on Pentecost Sunday in 1974, I found myself answering an altar call down on my knees, asking Jesus to be my Lord, my Savior, and committing to be a better husband, better father. <laughs> also, that Sunday was the first time I ever spoke in tongues. Um, our life together began to change for the better. A couple years later, looking for something to do on a Friday night, we attended a seminar, A Christian Perspective on Finances, uh, at the Akron Baptist Temple. The presenter was Larry Burkett. Larry Burkett was the president of Christian Financial Concepts and also the host of Money Matters, which was a popular radio program. He focused on tithing, on stewardship, and on debt-free living. By the time the evening concluded, Bo and I were firing on all cylinders. Uh, we returned the next morning and joined Larry at his table for breakfast. And before heading home that afternoon, we were hooked. We committed ourselves to begin tithing and to approach debt-free living. The tithing came easy. After all, I worked for a financial firm and I, it was pretty easy to figure out what 10% of our gross was. <laughs> Uh, after the, uh, we grabbed hold of Malachi 3.10, held on to it with both hands, and took God at his word. The debt-free living took longer. It was about 10 years before we paid off our mortgage and were finally debt-free. Bo and I continued in a relationship with Christian Financial Concepts as referral counselors for probably 20 years, mm -hmm. first in Akron and then here in Columbus. We credit that relationship with playing a major part in forming first and foremost our commitment to tithing and our commitment to what we call sacrificial giving beyond, above and beyond tithing. As we read the word, as we received good teaching, and as we tithed, we begin to remove the burden of debt from our lives. Our family life and our financial life turned around. And now 50 years later, I can honestly say for Bo and me, we believe that faithful tithing and good stewardship of God's gifts were major building blocks establishing the relationship between God, the giver, and man, the receiver and the steward of God's gifts. Our spiritual surrender prompted our material surrender and landed us where we are today. I love that little phrase, Jim, our spiritual surrender prompted our material surrender. And that's the building blocks of life and, and relating to God. Beautiful. Wow. Thank you. Marty uh, has the gift of serving. 
a supernatural capacity to respond to a need and willing to serve in the background. And indeed, I had to pray hard to get Marty on stage. <laughs> she does not want to be here. But we love her, right? Yes. And most, most recently, and this is just one of a, of a lifetime of service most recently, Marty's been so integral to our Hispanic service, translating documents, acting as a translator, being there on Sundays. And, but I, again, I, you, that, I don't want to steal your story if that's it, but she's, she has been an example of service to this church. So Marty, go, go ahead. Um, well, he, the first question is, when do you know, did you know you had this gift? Well, um, maybe when Chris asked me if I would come up here and be this person. <laughs> um, I do remember that, um, you know, throughout the years you hear teachings on gifts and stuff, and I'm like, mm, I don't know about that. I don't know that I have one. But if, if, if any, maybe it's service because the other ones are way harder, you know, like prophecy or leadership or any of these other things. And, and I've always, I think I felt like service was just kind of the fallback. If you didn't have another one, you just kind of, well, you're just a servant. <laughs> and I didn't even think it as that it's, I mean, it was a lesser gift in my mind or something. Mm -hmm. But um, I think you or Nick shared one of, in this series about how, if you don't know what you have, then what is it that seems easier for you or you kind of fall back on or something, I'm like, well, that would be it. Um, so, yeah, do you say, I have this gift? I don't know, but um, I am sometimes, you know, like, oh, they had a baby, I'll take a meal. Oh, they're sick, I'll take a meal. Or, or you know, and sometimes it's not always with pure motives. If you have six children in the Sunday school, program, you're like, I probably should surf back there. So, um, <laughs> we, we have Somewhere seen... Lisa is saying, amen, amen, <laughs> amen. Somewhere she's out there saying it. So, um, we, we did, we've served a lot of years in the child care program. And, um, and also like with meals, you know, you can take a meal to somebody and, and that is also ironic because I'm not even that good of a cook, but you know, you can get a lasagna from me. <laughs> And, um, and the other thing I thought of is, I mean, there are so many, all these people, everybody out here, there are so many people that serve so much more than I do. Um, I mean, listening to Aaron, good grief. But um, the other thing is that, my, and my husband, he serves a ton. And also, if you might be married to somebody that has the gift of spirit, they, they will volunteer you too. So, you know, if I can't do it, oh, DJ can be there, or he'll help me at least. So, um, um, and the risk, I'm definitely not a risk taker. My whole family would tell you that I'm a wimp, and I, I'm a homebody, and I don't like to take risk. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons that service is a little bit easier for me, because it's not as much of a risk but it is an area I need to grow in. Like, you know, if the Lord says, oh, go do that from somebody like, ooh, I need to start taking a little more risk in that area. So um, I can't really think of anything that I did that was like super like, oh, this is way out of my comfort zone. We did go to Honduras and Guatemala a few times and that's a little bit out of your comfort zone, but it was just so exciting and fun too. And then with the Hispanic ministry, sometimes the translating is a risk because I'm not, I'm not as good as Erin. But she's just too busy to do it all the time. So <laughs> I do it. And we stumble through it. And it's a lot of fun. So. Thanks, Marty. Thank you. I think everyone that knows Lance, I think, would identify this gift of encouragement, this gift of exhortation. And I found a definition for this that I really like, and I think, Lance, it so embodies your ministry in this church. And one of the outcomes of the gift of encouragement and exhortation, exhortation certainly so encourage and to comfort, but it's also to stir faith in others. The gift of encouragement and exhortation stirs faith in others. And Lance, I know you're probably going to mention here some things that you've done, and I want to hear as well, but talk about this gift in your life. 
Yeah. I struggled with the first question. I think probably we all did. Um, thinking about like when we first became aware of, of a gift like this. And I had, I had a specific idea in my mind when I was thinking about it during the week, but when the thunderstorms hit last night and I was awake staring at the ceiling, the Lord took me back actually even further to um, the last probably year and a half of high school. I remember going on our summer high school LT trips and uh, I remember we were in like this big house with like 25 guys. There were two or three freshmen in that, in that house. And I didn't, I don't think I knew it at the time, but nobody bunked with them in a room. So they were like really isolated. I found, I found that out like a lot later because um, I befriended them over time. But I remember during a couple of the worship nights opening my eyes while I was worshiping and I remember seeing them. And there was something that the Lord must have done with my sight when I saw them. So I remember going over and giving a couple of them, two, two of these guys, a hug. And one of them was actually sobbing. I don't know what for, but he was sobbing. But the hug he gave me was like a, I, need, I needed a hug kind of, kind of a thing. So I wouldn't have pieced that together definitely at the time, but I would say that was an example of like being aware that, that the Lord is pushing me to do something, but I wasn't aware that that was like an encouraging type of a, of a thing. Um, and then I think probably later in life, in more recent years, I think it's, it's something that's been affirmed um, by other people, which I think is a good indicator that you have a, have a specific gift when others are affirming it in you because you tend to not see it in yourself, like what um, Aaron was saying. Um, and maybe you don't want to see it in yourself and like, um, no, I don't have that gift. I don't need to use it. Cool. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, the affirmation from other people, but I was trying to think of a time when it was like a risky, because if it's just like getting coffee with somebody and listening to them and talking to them, that's not really, not really necessarily a risk. So I was trying to think of a risk, and I feel like the Lord pointed out a very recent situation where I was very out of my comfort zone. I was at a conference, and we were learning how to pray with people and how to listen to the Holy Spirit in prayer which is not necessarily a concept I grew up with. Um, and specifically, I remember them encouraging you to be like, hey, you know, if, you, if we're praying and we're praying for this one specific individual, they had us broken out in groups, and they're like, if you're praying for this one specific individual and you feel like you see something, go ahead and communicate it. I'm like, that's not going to happen to me. I don't see things <laughs> when I'm praying for people. It's a blank canvas up there usually. <laughs> My wife can attest to that. Um, but while we were praying, I had a very, we were praying for this lady who had like very severe, a very se severe disease. And what we were trying to do is pray healing, pray that she would be healed. And I'm very new to all this kind of stuff. All these people that I was with, I felt, had way more experience than me. And, you know, they're saying, you know, if you see something while you're praying, you know, speak up. Feel free to speak up. I'm like, well, it's cool because that won't happen to me. So I won't have to do that part. I'll just pray for the person. I know how to do that. I, I, Durf House is my dad. I know how to pray for people to some extent. <laughs> um, so, but while we were praying, she had very, very chronic pain. Like she, 24 hours a day, chronic, bad, awful pain. So while we're praying, I see in my mind this lady floating in a big, what I would call like a, bap a baptismal, like a small container of water, but she's able to recline in it and lay in it. And it looks like she's on the Mediterranean coast. So this is already very vivid. And I'm like, this is strange. Um, but she's like laying and she's smiling. She's smiling up in the sunlight and the sun is just coming down on her. So I sat there and I had that thought and I'm letting everybody else pray because there's plenty of people to pray so I don't need to say anything about this yet. But the, but the image won't go away. I kind of would get distracted and listen to what this person's praying and agree. Then that picture would come back. So there was, in, there was a lull and in this lull of prayer, they're checking with this individual to say, hey, do you, how do you feel? Has anything different? And then everybody stops and looks around. Does anybody have anything? Everybody kind of looks at me. I'm like, all right, I guess I got to say it. It's okay, I won't see these people again. I'll go ahead and say it. So I communicated it to her, you know, what I just said to you. And she's like, I can't really get a read. 
You know, when you like communicate somebody, to somebody and you're like, is this good? Is this bad? Is this neutral? What, what's happening here? And I got nothing. It was just the... Like, you're being very polite. Thank you. So I said what I said, and I was like, okay, there you go. Um, do I say amen now that I'm done so everybody knows that I'm done? But anyway, uh, she said, she said, like her face changed, and she's like, wow, wow. We had an above-ground pool that I used to lie in when the pain would get really bad, and that's the only way that I could exercise, and I would meet with the Lord there. And I was like, whoa. And uh, she, said, she said that that, like, that the pool broke like a week ago. So she said that was an interesting connection. So that kind of led everybody else to kind of pray into that, that the Lord would do something and release something there. So she didn't get like, her pain didn't go away. It did come down, but it didn't go away. But that felt to me like a really awesome example of being able to encourage a fellow believer. And it wasn't me, it wasn't my words. And it was very risky for me. Didn't feel particularly safe, but the Lord met her in that. Mm. And so the, the Holy Spirit through that met her and, and, and she received from the Lord. And yeah. that's the biggest encouragement I think yeah. that somebody can get, so. Mm. That's great, Lance, that's great. And, and Lance, you have, um, again, would you say that your podcast has flown out of this gift as well? The podcast that you Certainly. do? Certainly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always fun to talk with people and hear them. And when somebody gets to share their story and somebody's interested in hearing and commenting on it, then again, you're aware of that person is aware of their value. Yeah. So yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, your story, Lance, is really a great lead-in to Janelle, and Janelle's going to represent the gift of prophecy. And let me just make a be a little bit of a twist here. <laughs> uh, Janelle doesn't to his own words, doesn't yet have this gift. And again, the gift of prophecy, which we've talked about during the series, it is a, um, uh, it's a, it's a supernatural burst of insight of something hidden or something unknown uh, that the, the Spirit gives in a moment of revelation. Uh, we, again, we, we're not quite sure. Again, we deal with it in a way where we're, we're humble about it, but uh, on your recent mission trips, Janelle, you had two or three stories where you encountered the operation of this gift, and you saw the effect, and then you've reflected quite a bit on how much it's affected you internally. So can you talk about your experiences in seeing the gift of prophecy in operation? Yeah, um, when I got your text about the gift of prophecy, I said, dude, there's 14, and you give me the one that I don't have. So, <laughs> but, um, so, you know, uh, for the past year, we started in Hawaii, then we went to Vietnam, then Germany, then a couple months ago, we were in uh, northern Iraq. So, just watching, just seeing how this gift, the spiritual gifts operates outside of our comfort zone, you are just, I was blown away with it. I was blessed with it. You know, it's, it's, it's that manifestation of, of God's attention to people's details. And, and so the gift of prophecy, the gift of knowledge, and the gift of wisdom kind of work together uh, in the way I, I, I witnessed it. And it's so neat because when you see this happening to people, when a word of knowledge and you know, prophetic words is, is spoken to them in, in, in all these different countries, you just see the transformation in their face, how they're encouraged, because all of a sudden, they realize God cares for me personally. God sees me because a lot of the people out in the nations, they feel unseen, they feel unheard, they feel ignored. So when all of a sudden, God pushes his finger into their personal life, and through a complete stranger, tell their life story, they're like, wow, God is, God sees me. And you, I, mean, I was moved to tears just watching these gifts operate. And um, so for me personally, it happened uh, uh, two years ago uh, when we decided to do the, uh, the missions. And I, I had no idea what I was gonna do. Uh, my biggest angst, my biggest worry was, I wanna make sure I pick the perfect mission. I wanna make sure I pick the perfect country to go to. You know, the, the, the perfect time, perfect moment. So two years ago, we visited my, uh, our daughters in Hawaii. She was doing a missionary training there. And I was just visiting a clinic, 
And all of a sudden, there was this nurse, a young American nurse, just was staring at us. And she came towards us, and she said, uh, excuse me, you don't know who I am, but I saw an, a vision while you were sit, standing there. I'm like, oh, great, what does this mean? <laughs> and she goes, she goes, I saw you standing there um, in, in front of a shell game. And somebody was moving the shell around, and your job was to pick the right shell that's got the little coin in it. And you would pick one, and there it is. And then you know, be reshuffled again, and you pick another one, and it's there. And there's this. And she goes, I'm sorry, I don't know what that means, but that's what I saw in you. And she just walked away. And I remember my, my wife says, oh, three, we have three grandkids, is that what it means? And immediately when she wa walked away, the Holy Spirit says, you've been so worried about finding the perfect ministry, the perfect mission. The Holy Spirit says, if you're doing this unto me, unto the kingdom, whatever you pick, whatever mission, whatever country, it's going to be the right choice. So to me, that was the first time when a total stranger you know, said a word of wisdom to me. So end up uh, doing the training. Next thing you know, we're in Vietnam, uh, a communist country, and uh, we were in this home church. And um, that's, that was the home church. And we were just worshiping. And all of a sudden, uh, one of the team members went to the pastor and said something like, um, hey, um, God really wants to bless this church, this home church. But there's a spirit of unforgiveness, a spirit of bitterness in, 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 in the leadership. And we're like, what, what does that mean? Then all of a sudden, the mother of the pastor just starts sobbing. And she goes, I have to confess something. She goes, for a long time now, I've been holding a spirit of bitterness towards you, the son, the pastor, because years ago, when you were addicted to drugs, we spent, the parents spent all our money to help you clean up. But you, my son, the pastor, has never asked for forgiveness, and I've been holding this against you. The pastor, the son, broke down in tears, asked for forgiveness, and then next thing you know, there was this reconciliation. So that was, that was a perfect example of we were, they, didn't, they didn't know us, we didn't know them, we didn't know the story, but somewhere the Holy Spirit spoke to one of the team members and says this. And then the following couple months ago, we ended up in, in northern Iraq, a Muslim country, and it was supposed to be a medical mission. And, uh, I, and people, the soldiers would line up and would pray for a certain part of the illness. And there's somebody that's always praying in the spirit, Holy Spirit, what else do you want me to tell this person? So there's moments where uh, a team member would just go up to um, a, a, a wife or a mother of a soldier, and they're, they're usually coming there with a headache and backache, and somebody would say, hey, um, just want you to know that I feel like there's, there's a certain struggle in your life. There's this burden, something personal that's going on in your life. There's this issue in your life. There's this trauma in your life. And you see this women, the, the Muslim women, would just break down in tears. And they would be so open just to be prayed for. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, let, let, let's pray on that knee. She came in for the knee. But all of a sudden, God says, yeah, but I, I see something else. And so that's another example of the Holy Spirit just speaking word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and prophetic words to, to, um, to this people. And uh, I, to, to me, what I got out of it was, you know, just watching the expression of the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy, the word of knowledge, and the word of wisdom. People really get to become intimately connected with God. And it's so neat because... It, it, you know, they feel so ignored. And when I see this, when you see this happening in your eyes, you're like, God, that person just start worshiping you, start honoring you, start falling in love with Jesus. And when you see that, what it does is it steers up something in you that says, hey, God, I'm hungry for that. Whatever that is, I want it for my life. If it brings you glory, then I want it in my life. So I'm still asking for that gift. That's great. <laughs> That's... Um... And one of, the, one of the things that we interacted on, Janelle, that we have emphasized throughout this series is that the practice and expression of the, all of these gifts is for the church, but it's also for those who are far from God. 
to help reveal the power of God and the reality of God to those who are far from him in very demonstrative ways. So it's powerful. Um, thanks, Janelle, for your vulnerability, too, in sharing that, even as you're on, a, in a sense, your own journey and praying for that gift. So. Last but definitely not least is Carl Warbovetz. And we could also have Julie up here, but we could not get her on stage. Is she out here somewhere? Uh, she's, she's not even in the city, so. <laughs> <laughs> so she got as far away as she could. <laughs> because both Carl and Julie, I think, are tremendous examples of this gift. It was certainly part of the reason why we went down the journey of asking them if they would uh, uh, be appointed as our, our deacons in our church. Um, but the gift of mercy is in some ways like the gift of service. It involves serving others, but it has another element to it where there's this supernatural empowerment to feel what others are feeling, to, uh, to, to, um, to feel empathy for what others are going through in really unique ways. Sometimes those who have the gift of mercy may be ways that we wish we didn't have. Uh, really all the gifts can be a blessing and a curse. But, um, but Carl certainly is an example of the gift of mercy. And thank you, Carl, for being willing to talk about it, being vulnerable to talk about it. So again, awareness and maybe some steps that you've taken in a risk to exercise this gift. Well, Chris, in terms of the gift of mercy, I, I really don't think I was aware of it until you asked me to, to talk about it. So... Uh, We'll see how this goes, but uh, I, I have had the opportunity to be, become familiar with, with certain groups of people over a period of time and learned a little bit more about what they deal with, some of their struggles, some of their situations, and that I think has given me an opportunity to act in certain, certain circumstances. And uh, I, I do know that there have been times that I have not been able to, I feel like I've fallen short in being compassionate and being sensitive, so I'm aware of that. In terms of times that maybe have stepped out and maybe taken a little bit of a risk, I work at OSU and I've come in contact with lots of international students over the years, but in the environment at OSU, it's a little bit hard to witness to those students. And so when I was here at Linworth uh, one morning, I found out about this ministry called International Friendships, and I was able to uh, learn a little bit more about IFI, as it's called. And so it seemed like that would be a good thing for me to maybe learn a little bit more about and get involved with. And so about five years or so ago, my wife, Julie, and I, we volunteered to spend some time with a couple of students coming from China and they were beginning as undergraduates at OSU and so over a period of a few years we developed a pretty close relationship with one of those students. He visited our house several times, we spent quite a bit of time with him, met some of his friends and he even, he even attended Alpha here at the church and I know that he was open to the gospel and, and heard the message here through Alpha. And at this point, I, I don't think that he has yet become a believer. Uh, I lost track with him for a period of time during COVID and al although we reconnected in the fall, uh, I haven't heard from him for a couple of months. So I'm not sure if this story has a happy ending or not. But there have been opportunities for me to become familiar with and reach out to other people, other groups of people over that time. And I know that God doesn't only work in one person, in one situation at one time. Mm -hmm. And I think that God is able to show us how to use the gifts that he's given us if we're open to having the Holy Spirit lead us. Mm -hmm. And so... After being a believer for many years and seeing the blessings that God has given to me and my family, I can't imagine not reaching out to a person or a group of people that I felt that I, that I feel like I can minister to or help in some way. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Carl. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, actually, not quite last. We have one more, and uh, you'll notice all the, all the seats are already taken up, but there's still one gift left, left on that list. It's the gift of teaching, and he couldn't be here this Sunday, so we 
uh, videotaped Corey Bacher um, uh, to talk about the gift of teaching. So many of you have been blessed by Corey's teaching, certainly been aware of his giftedness, might not know all the background to uh, him getting to where he is. So if we're ready, Stuart, let's watch this, let's watch uh, Corey, or listen to Corey's story. My name is Corey Bacher, and I have the spiritual gift of teaching. When I was a child, I would have never thought, and nor would anybody else ever thought, that I had this gift. I grew up as an only child in a single-parent home, and I was also a very shy introvert. On top of this, I also struggled tremendously academically in school. I had a learning disability and reading and writing comprehension and dyslexia, and I was often taken out of classes for intervention tutoring. As a result, I was reserved and had a very low self-confidence. My spiritual gift was nowhere to be seen in me. But despite my academic struggles, I did love to learn. I loved breaking down things and putting them back together again. And when I would get things like a remote control car for Christmas, the first thing I would do is take it apart and lay it out in a grid to my mother's dismay, and I would put it back together again, and it would work. I did this also analytically with ideas and concepts that I came across. And as a result, I had many questions for the leaders in the church that often stumped them and they would struggle to give me answers. It was not until the early days of high school that two men in my church recognized something in me that I did not see in myself. They began to mentor me, they began to disciple me, and they began to push me into leadership and teaching positions. And though I was scared and struggled, and I know I didn't do well in the beginning, I felt drawn to them and I felt fulfilled doing it. In high school, I gave my first sermon in front of the entire church, and I was scared to death and thankful for a podium that could hide my knees knocking together. And even though I was scared, I was confident in what I had to say to the congregation because of my discipleship. And even though I know that first one was not good, many people in the church affirmed me and my gifting of teaching and encouraged me to press forward. Despite my fears and uncomfortableness, I found teaching truly deeply fulfilling, and I wanted more of it. But even though these abilities and these skills were growing in me, I did not have the confidence nor knew what God really wanted to do with me and my, with my life. Yet I still felt so lost as to who I was supposed to do or what I was supposed to do with my life. And even though these skills and abilities were growing in me, I did not know what God was doing with my life or how he was directing me. So when I went to college, I double majored in Bible religion, European history, not knowing what I wanted to do with my life, but feeling drawn to these things. It was in college that I began to have many of my questions in the Bible and philosophy answered, and more importantly, I was taught how to break things down and, and solve problems and find solutions. I began to teach Bible studies in the local church that I was involved in there, and it was at this time that my confidence in teaching grew, and I knew that teaching was my spiritual gift and that I wanted to teach in high school. After college, I knew I wanted to go to seminary and felt God drawing me there. However, I did not have the money and could not afford it. And yet God affirmed my spiritual gift of teaching and my direction in going this route by providing an anonymous donor in the church who paid for all four years of my seminary. God was guiding me. After seminary, I began to create my own Bible studies and my own lesson plans to teach in the local church that I was involved in. I did this while working construction, while looking for a Bible teaching position in a school. During these three years, I became incredibly frustrated and discouraged, believing that I had pursued the wrong path, that God had not led me this way, and that this was not my gifting. And right when I had hit rock bottom, God opened up a position at Worthing Christian Schools, and I applied for it, and I got it. When I asked them what they wanted me to specifically teach, they told me they wanted me to teach the very thing that I had been spending the last three years preparing on my own. God had been preparing me for just this moment of becoming a teacher in this school. After a few years, some parents in the school encouraged me and pushed me into teaching a Monday night class so that they can learn the same things that their, their children were learning in school. 
And then they also, a few years later, began to push me into recording and publishing these recordings on the internet so other people could hear them. And even though this made me very nervous to be on the internet in front of everybody, I did it, and God has blessed these ministries tremendously over the years. Ironically, I believe that God has used my learning disability and my struggles to make me a better teacher. Struggling to learn has made me slow down in order to understand what I, re I am reading, and therefore has made me more observant of the text and what God is trying to communicate there. Also in struggling, I had to learn on my own how to break things down and simplify ideas and concepts so that I could better understand how they fit into the bigger picture and the material that I was trying to process. I believe this is carried over into my teaching as I teach students of all ages to help them better understand the Bible. God has used my weakness as his strength. I'm extremely passionate about the word of God and helping under, other, other people understand it better. When I'm teaching, I feel more fulfilled and more alive as the image of God than many other times of my life. Yet it is clear to me that this is a spiritual gift that has come from Yahweh and not my own ability and strength. For example, there are many times that I have felt tired or losing my voice or depressed or I had a chronic cough for a while. And the minute that I began to teach, all that went away, filled with an energy from the Holy Spirit. There are also times that I've been teaching and talking and words and concepts coming out of my mouth that are not from me, and I know that they're from the Holy Spirit. I did not seek out teaching, but I know that I don't want to do anything else with my life, for this is my purpose. Despite still struggling with a learning disability, I love reading and devouring commentaries. And despite struggling tremendously with writing, I find this extremely helpful in organizing my ideas and making me a better communicator when I begin to teach. I also do not speak well. I often mix up my words and mispronounce things regularly, yet God does use this, uses me, yet God uses me despite this. I'm also very self-critical. I am often discouraged and beat myself up and feel like a failure as a teacher and question whether I'm making a difference or an impact in any kind of a way and want to just give up. Yet just at the right moment, God sends people and donations and emails into my life to encourage me and reaffirm me in my spiritual gift and what he's doing with my life. And like Jeremiah, when I begin to feel like giving up, I feel this deep spiritual compulsion to keep teaching the word of God because I know that this is what God wants me to do with my life. I have had success as an academically struggling, shy introvert that could have never happened in my own strength. This is because Yahweh has empowered me. Only Yahweh has made this happen. As an introvert, I do not want to be famous. When people recognize me in public, I often feel like crawling into a hole and disappearing. <laughs> Yet when people see me teaching for the first time, passionately the word of God, they often assume that I'm an extrovert. And then when they see me outside the classroom, they're shocked to see that I'm shy and reserved and don't talk much. And the reason for this is that my ability as a teacher and my passion is a spiritual gift from Yahweh. Amen. I know that there are many threads that I think you have picked up today and just by osmosis have seen and heard. One was the importance of other people speaking into our lives, other people seeing what we cannot see, other people working with us and discipling us and developing us. I think one of the most challenging things, though, in using our gifts that Corey has highlighted is that we have to confront our own weaknesses. We have to confront our own weaknesses in the use of our gifts because it is often in the areas where we feel weak that God makes us strong. And so we need to be able to have the kind of vulnerability that Corey emulated for us in, in expressing and recognizing the areas where we are vulnerable, the areas where indeed the Spirit of God and the power of God can make us strong. Um, if you just stay up here for a moment, I'm going to close uh, this portion. We're going to... Uh, have 
take communion together here in just a moment and, uh, and sing together in response to what we've heard this morning, in response to the Word of God demonstrated through the lives of our friends here. But my exhortation to all of you, the reminder to all of you is simply this, is to remember, friends, that you only have one life to live. You only have one life to offer. And you have been given a treasure. We talk about these gifts, these seven gifts, and have argued that we all have at least one of them. And in, these er- in this area of gift- giftedness, we have talked about for many, many years. The question becomes, what are you doing today? How are you investing the gifts that God has given to you? Um, or, or is it simply a matter of a lack of time or lack of interest in your part? Are there things you need to cut out of your life? Are there unnecessary distractions? Are there meaningless pursuits? Are there other loves in your life that are competing for seeking first the kingdom of God? In Matthew 25, Jesus told the parable of the talents, and he asked that essential question, how will we use the resources and the gifts and the talents that God has given us? And that is our challenge to all of you in adding to what Nick shared last week in relation to this series, is you have one life to offer. Will you take the gifts that God has given you, the resources, the treasures, and will you invest them into the kingdom of God? Or will you simply spend them on your own life and your own pursuits? We all have the opportunity before us to have a wonderful reunion with Jesus at the end of our lives where he will gaze at us in our eyes and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And to those who have taken the gifts that God has given and poured them out and spread them out for others. But the other encounter is just as terrifying for those who, out of fear or out of pursuing other things. They could only say to Jesus, well, I took the gift that you gave and I was afraid to use it. I thought you might take advantage of me and so I buried it. What a terrible waste. A missed opportunity, a wasted opportunity, and indeed a wasted life. We only have one life to offer and our exhortation to all of you Elders, pastors, staff, leaders, members of our church is to invest that gift into the kingdom of God. Will you pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' precious name, we come to you in our weakness. We come to you in our inabilities. We come to you in our times of confusion, our times when we're not sure if we're really aligned with you. All the things, Lord, all the obstacles that can come up in our minds to simply serving Jesus and following Jesus. Father, bring us to a place here. For some, it may be a rededication of my life to be used in the kingdom of God. For others, it might be rekindling the gift of God that is in us that's laid dormant for years. For others, Father, who are newer to the faith or new to our particular expression of the church, it may be an awareness that I have a spiritual gift to use within the kingdom of God, within the church or outside the church, outside these four walls. Father, wherever we are today, just as I so appreciate what Jernell shared, in that moment of questioning and needing direction, he heard you speak clearly to him. Gita heard you clearly speak. Father, in this moment now, as we invite the Holy Spirit into our midst, 
May he speak clearly to us, giving guidance and direction, affirmation, correction, comfort, exhortation, whatever we need this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You give a round of applause for our panel.